dispensing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios podcast, serving up bite-sized doses of delicious and nutritious insight and inspiration intended to ignite your mojo within and add fuel to the fire of your life, your relationships, your work, and your contribution to the world. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat, dinner is served. Well, good morning, John Comfort, and good afternoon, good evening, good whatever day you're on when you tuned into this podcast. This is Joe McCarthy, Mojo Studio, with my good friend John Comfort. Where are you at this fine morning, John? Once again, I'm in my garage. It's um, a lovely, temperate, overcast day here in Southern California. Absolutely. I think probably as the crow flies were maybe, what, 30 miles apart? between your Something like that, and maybe. Yeah. I'm in my backyard again and in uh, Orange County, California. So, John, uh, we've had this really rich and wonderful and challenging, insightful conversation. Uh, and for those of you who have, are tuning in for the very first time, this is a series, the Good Stuff series. John and I have been talking now for, this is our seventh episode. Um, and so as you jump in on this train, you just understand you're catching the ride in the middle. And there's lots of really good stuff good stops behind us so john uh, get, get the train rolling again where are we now and where are we headed well yeah we we started this back on maundy thursday of this year 2021 and that is this gigantic hinge point in history obviously where jesus mandates what we typically describe as servant leadership and that i think absolutely is about well, it's what's necessary. I think it is what has become democracy. Democracy is definitely messy because human beings are messy, but it's about authority that serves the greatest good of the people it has authority over. And then that the people, because we're messy, at least have to have some accountability built into that or some consent with that. It's it started there it then hinged on that even greater moment where jesus said not i will but thy will be done and it then has gone from there for the last two thousand years it's very difficult to root it in like what we think of of as science or legal proof um, or even kind of historical proof can be different or difficult excuse me but the word history does have this word story in it and that it really is true that's how we understand things even those other things i just mentioned like science and law and history is rooted in pattern and story is pattern and we've seen this played out and so the entirety of history can be understood by kind of having a balanced view on the figurative truths versus literal truths you see this pattern um and it's beginning middle and end and it's about diversity being created by God, but also being reconciled back to God. And all the diversity and reconciliation stuff that we still argue about to this very day is very, very real, very, very pertinent, very, very um, relevant to our lives. And I'm contending that very plainly, God is actually pushing that. And so it's true that it needs continual refining, just like we all do, 
but it's also a push that shouldn't be tried. You shouldn't try to stop it. If you're trying to stop it, I think you're arguing with God more than you realize. And that's a big statement, but I also think it's one that lands well with a lot of people that if they're just saying, yeah, I do just want to be reconciled and we're searching for peace and things like that. These ideas of the consent of the governed fits perfectly with the servant leadership that Jesus Christ mandated 2000 years ago. So it all fits. The pattern repeats itself and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so the consent of the governed then builds up and then we build up then to a third narrative that we do then, we get into the arguments that are on the front page of the paper still to this day. I mean, to this moment, even just yesterday, I was grappling with this very stuff. And it has to do then, uh, it's it's trying to understand um, the story of America better, basically. And that is a story that people argue over intensely. And I am contending, oh, I didn't even mention, you know, we a lot of this then does hinge on the double-edged nature of the word. And I am contending that plainly, what God demands of us is to understand and try to reconcile those arguments and recognize the double-edged nature of that, which means that is American history good or bad? It's both. And you have to be able to kind of get your head around that. Now, one thing you and I were just saying a few minutes ago is that a lot of these things on like personal relationships and things like that, it can be intense disagreement, but it can also be very um, minute differences of opinion that it's like you actually want the same things. And it's like this far apart. It's not even that far apart. So close. With American history, though, who boy, the good is really, really, really good and righteous even. And I would credit God with all the good stuff, the Holy Spirit with all the good stuff. But the bad is also really, really, really bad. And it has to be acknowledged and dealt with. And there's justice issues still. In fact, I did reference that last time, that glory be to God as the age of discovery was going forward from that Christian Jesus Christ, Bible, Gutenberg explosion, you also developed, and I want to say very specifically, a system of law, a system of justice that simultaneously could not abide those sins of colonialism. And so that system of law is the one that we largely still, it's, I would say it's the prevalent one in the world. And America brought that probably to its fullest flourish. Jefferson wrote, all men are created equal. And most everybody says, and you know, he, what he meant was all mankind is created equal. All right. people are created equal. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, there was huge, huge hypocrisy in all of that. And again, uh, I'm just trying to be sensitive to the people who are hearing our conversation for the first time. If you're not familiar with meta narrative or meta story, basically the idea is that all of our stories as they play out or the hero's journey, which is used often in writing and in movies and the, the really great epic stories are really a micro story of the story of creation, the story of humanity, the story of our planet, of our yeah. universe, really. And you see these parallels, these patterns and these parallels between all the way down to my individual life story to mm -hmm. my family, my tribe, my country, and then it becomes a universal story, which again, we're saying points to there is a truth with a capital T. And in this yeah. in the stories, in the big story, which I love that the word history is his 
story. I don't think that's yeah. a coincidence, or at least I don't. I take it that way. Right. Um, but his his story is our story. His story is my story. And you see these parallels. And and I mentioned earlier Joseph Campbell, who studied all these great myths uh, and legends throughout culture, throughout history. And he saw exactly what we're talking about. This, there's a story line, and there's a progress, and there's these plot points, and the resolution, and they're, they're common to all of these stories. And he drew a different conclusion than I do, but I think what John and I are saying is that that's a universal truth. And this yeah. is the way that God has allowed history to unfold so that, again, we can understand it and that we can see him in it. Yeah, and it all hinges, again, on that generally that hero character learning something yes being willing to accept change being willing to accept real growth coming to a different realization and we love to see it on screen right but it is difficult to accept in our own lives sure. and i i'm the first to admit it and boy my wife would agree with that um, we we all can be stubborn, and I am no different. Um, and it's worth saying that again, too. Joe and I have said this many times through it. it, it this is a double edge unto itself, is that truly, truly, we are not saying that Joe and I have all the answers. I get that I'm saying some very strong things, and I do feel led to say those things, but it really, really is rooted in this idea that you have to reconcile these arguments, that you have to come to the table with people who have different perspectives on truth, and that's an important point, too. Not everybody gets to have their own truth, but there's there's one point, but there are different perspectives on truth, and you've got to learn how to balance those. So that's like an answer, but it's me saying I don't have all the answers. And it's worth saying again uh, that one of the themes, one of the really foundational themes of our discussion is that we don't set the truth free. I'm not the answer. I don't bring the answer I am searching for the answer and the answer will set me and us, yeah. all of us free. And so uh, I just think it's fascinating. You know, any argument that you have, you come in, you, you can come into one of two mindsets. One, I'm right and you are wrong. And right. then the, the idea of reconciliation is pretty much out the window from moment one. Yeah. Or you can come in with, I feel very strongly about this and I have really good reasons why, but I am willing to admit I don't know everything, right? I'm not omniscient. I'm not God. And right. you may have a perspective because of your own experience and education and in insight that I don't have. And I have to be willing to say, can we reconcile the differences in our argument? Right. Well, and I think that that then points to one last thing too, that we've kind of jokingly referred to. It's tough, but it's also, it sets you free. There is right and wrong, but there are also these different perspectives. And that there can be valid points to be made as long as people are being honest and being humble, frankly. Love but there's it. also competing unrighteous impulses, too, that can come from either, you know, differing perspectives. Um, and you've got to be able to try to. And the thing that makes it easy is love. But that has to be authentic. And it's a whole bunch of things. It's tough love. It's generous love. It's, you know, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is all these things. And love is also just. So yeah. we all know we always know as parents that if right. someone's going to threaten or harm someone in our family, right. we're not going to just say, "Oh, that's okay." We're going right. to fight. We're going to fight back because their love also fights at times. Right. right. Uh, so, but I, I think one of the dangers then is in any of these discussions is that 
the tendency that I think we all have that if I disagree with you vehemently on one point, on one argument, on one whatever, right. then I then I must disagree with you with all of them. Yeah, you, you know, are dead to me. Yeah, you're gone. Right. I, it's just a waste of time. I, I don't even need to be part of this discussion because yeah. <laughs> we're too, too far apart. The truth is, right, the truth is that we may agree on a hundred things and disagree on three, or we may right. agree on three things and disagree on a hundred, but we don't all disagree on everything and we don't all agree right. on everything. And we, oh have my to, gosh, yes. yeah, we have to accept that messiness as part mm -hmm. of the reconciliation process. Yeah. And then the last thing that I could say that does segue nicely into what we'll talk about then is, is that I do think that God demands plainly that then you have to be willing to look at the planks in your own eyes first. I think it's a commandment that you have to look at the planks in your own eyes first. And that means then on this historical level, because you don't want to just be paralyzed into inaction completely. You do have to speak up for the historically oppressed, and that means showing a deference to the concerns of the historically oppressed. That doesn't mean that arguments in that direction can't be refined, but there are plain things that demand justice and demand reform. And we could talk about even the words reform versus revolution and all that. That's a lot of, that's a whole nother podcast or two or three, but the notion that you do have to look at the planks in your own eyes first is important. And then that historically, that means you have to speak up for the oppressed and recognize and show a deference. Deference is a fuzzy word, but I use it intentionally. Show a deference to the concerns of the historically oppressed. Yeah. So to bring this to modern day, well, not quite modern day, but there was a very popular movie not long ago called A Few Good Men with yeah. Jack Nicholson. And yeah. in the end, there's this courtroom scene. It's very intense. And there's these two soldiers that, you know, were part of a thing going on that was behind the scenes and ugly. And there was abuse going on. And it's all getting revealed, right? And what it came down to in the end is that the people, the two soldiers who knew what was going on, even if they weren't responsible for the crime, that right. the judge says, what you, it's what you didn't do. You yeah. didn't stand up for the oppressed. You you had an opportunity to do right, and you didn't do it. And that's your job. It's not just yeah. doing the right thing. It's helping those who can't do the right thing or who, who are victims. To me, that's just like, bam, that, it's a big challenge, which I think yeah. leads right into where our discussion is headed. Oh, man. And that that actually, you know, theologically speaking, you can get into these um, lofty discussions on sins of commission versus sins of omission, you know. Right. So with that said... This narrative that I do want to dive into is, it's the common kind of, let's rethink and relook at and reconsider what is American history. There is a very, very, very strong case to be made that we need to incorporate however many thousands of years of Native American history into that. And that is vital and important and a part of all of this. I want people to reconsider things that they think they already know. And I'm looking at American history as we commonly kind of understand it. And that is a part of obviously that horror. Um, I've seen data that varies. I think this is correct. Anywhere from 10 million to 100 million Native Americans dwelt on this North American continent at any one time prior to colonization. And by 1900, that number, I think, was down to 10,000. That means no matter how it happened, 
no matter whose fault it was, either 99.9% of them were dead or 99.99999% of them were dead. And there's, there's mm. just no getting around that. Mm. And that has to be factored in. And what's amazing is, is that there is a rich history also of Native Americans within American history. Like, I don't know if you know about like the Navajo code talkers who helped win World War II. Right. And you can dig into more beyond that. So I wanted to kind of set that up a little bit to say that, oh my gosh, there's so much like that we could specifically say about pre-colonial history and um, what that has meant. And it gets into some really tough stuff. The, we mentioned it last time of how colonialism came with the Great Commission. And that's that's a gnarly topic right there. I also want to see what what is happening and how God, even with all that mess, is indeed reconciling people and bringing them all back together to where, like in Revelation, every tribe enters that city and worships together in a reconciled way. Uh, this reminds me of uh, another theme that comes up in our discussions, and that's this three phases of change. The change is yeah. hard at first, and it's messy in the middle. And it's yeah. beautiful in the end. And this is the meta story is right. And this is true. It's, it's true of all change. You know, you want to, you want to change your weight or you want to change your health or you want to change your habits uh, to make that change. It's hard at first because we're creatures of habit and, and our strongest desire is to just be familiar with everything. Right. And change is unfamiliar. So we resist it. And then in the middle, it gets all messy. And that's usually where people just quit. They give up because they don't, they can't see the beginning or the end. And so they just like, I'll just go back to where it's safe, which is what yeah. the children of Israel wanted to do when they're out in the desert because they got out of slavery, but now they don't know where or when they're going to get to the promised land. So eventually they're like, ah, it's, it's too uncomfortable. Let's go back yeah. to where we were, which they hated. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is yeah. our story yeah. as well. But the, the key then is persistence, because if you just keep doing the next right thing, and I, and I love this phrase, the next right thing, you mm -hmm. make progress step by step, day by day, moment by moment sometimes, where you're, you're in a better place than you were yesterday. You're not to your destination yet, but you do know there is... It, there's a compelling why to continue to move that direction. And that's that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about huge changes, which they're, they're not easy. They're really hard. And they're yeah. messy. And we're in the messy part right now. But if we don't continue to, to take the next right steps, we're never going to realize the beautiful end that is available. Well said. And, uh, and, and it's, you know, it's important, too. I think it's good to recognize and reference um, the struggle of the Hebrews, of the uh, people, the nation of Israel. Um, there's a great connection between Moses and let my people go and what um, African-Americans went through and uh, wanting to be delivered from slavery. And Harriet Tubman was the Moses for her people. And there's a lot of rich stuff you can dig into and that we actually will kind of dig into. And what we're trying to do is find the fruits of the spirit, gospel, good news way to do it that does bring about change, which is repentance again. Not static status quo, but is still, like I said, wrapped in the good news and the fruits of the Spirit. In order to operate at all in the fruits of the Spirit, right, this is where you have to put our ego on hold. Yeah. And the, ego, the ego is really the the striking 
plate for a lot of the fires that get started in the division because yeah. I have to be right, you have to be wrong, or I care too much about what you think, or I don't care enough about what right. you think. True humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. And so if yeah. you go into these discussions, speaking the truth in love, that means you do consider one another as better than yourself, is what Jesus would say. And that's yeah. not false humility, and that's not like putting yourself down. That just means you care about the other person, their thoughts, their feelings, their history, their hurt, their pain, and you want the, us together to get to a better place. Yeah. And it, it is a better place. Um, it is, uh, uh, it's a peace that we all yearn for. It requires peacemaking rather than just peacekeeping. Um, and that's, that's a very real term too. That's just not, a, that's not just a platitude. That's a very real idea that people have to kind of think about. And what does that mean? It's, it's more fulfilling. It's, it's the only fulfilling thing really is to get to that place that uh, people know that accumulation of stuff actually isn't fulfilling. And it's so much so that it, it has been reduced to latitude, but it's like, no, like seriously, that's seriously, it's true, right. <laughs> you know, yep. but it's hard to embrace that, you know? Uh, that, so all those that, ideas of the denial of self and death, dying to self and all those sorts of things, I think as you grapple with this uh, stuff, take on a new clarity, if, if you don't mind me saying. Not at all. No. And in fact, uh, this also reminds me that I heard this, what's called a brain tattoo that information without implementation is just delusion Ooh, which yeah. really is a, it's a fancy way of saying faith without works is dead yeah. so th this is that double-edged sword you and i have actually talked about offline is that yeah. what we're talking about is really good stuff but if we don't make any changes if we don't go through the process of the hard and the messy to get to the beautiful if, if we don't do change anything other than oh that's a really nice idea well, then it's really irrelevant, right? It's just delusion. Faith requires mm -hmm. works in order to create yeah. change. Yeah. And what we're saying is that there is a blessed yeah. assurance in these patterns that you can trust this. You can trust God. You can know that, oh, if I deny self, it actually is better to give than to receive. It actually is more peaceful, that there is great fulfillment found in well, all of these things, I can rattle them off again, but we've already done it. So to dive in then a little bit more specifically, stories do need a strong middle beginning, middle and end. Um, and that difference, that divide between the beginning and the middle we talked about is this plot point one, where suddenly we are on the journey. We are committed to a new journey. Uh, we referenced the Wizard of Oz is the really vivid example of this because it literally goes from black and white to color. Right. And so they'll reference this plot point one at the place where we're no longer in Kansas. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Frodo leaving the Shire. We're going on yeah. an adventure. He'd never lived outside yeah. the Shire, right? Yes. There's a big argument, though, in America right now as we speak, and many of our listeners may indeed ref recognize a lot of these things. They may already know what I'm going to say, but that there's this big argument over um, if America should be thought to have begun in 1776 or 1619. 1619 is referenced as when... Um, first slaves arrived uh, and the building of the country really began. And then the 1619 project is this thing with the um, New York Times that wants to re-examine the impact of slavery on our country's history. And a lot of people aren't liking that. 
I think there's a lot of incredible value there. Uh, maybe it could stand some refinement, but it is good stuff. The year 1776, though, is obviously vitally important as well. And so I might for a moment start with that plot point one, but boy, howdy, is this double-edged. 1776 is our plot point one. That is where we say to the world and to Great Britain especially, hey, we're going to do this on our own and we're going to do it differently. Uh, we are committed. Benjamin Franklin fa famously said, uh, we all have to hang together or we will most assuredly hang separately. We are committed. We are doing this. And this is a journey that we're starting in 1776. And then I'm contending that those principles are indeed of Jesus. Whether they were deists or atheists or agnostics, I don't care. The Holy Spirit inspired this, and it's rooted in this servant leadership from 2,000 years ago. And Peter himself learned about it when he said, oh, my gosh, I just realized God doesn't show favoritism, actually. And you can dig into that, by the way. But I think we ought to go with what Peter ultimately realized there, because it does then line up with, oh, yeah, this reconciliation thing wouldn't have favoritism. Just laws and just societies don't show favoritism. That's what this is about. And that's what Jesus was saying, I think. And that it's even then, you know, if you want to go again to the kind of marriage metaphor, think of others as even better than yourself. Defer to them even more, you know, like push yourself to the other side even, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Greater love hath no man than to die even for their fellow man kind of thing. And so there's so much goodness and righteousness. And I do think you can even get into the, how the Holy Spirit himself must have delivered the American Revolution through because we had no business beating the British Empire in the first place and all that stuff. There's so much there that you can study and be enriched by and inspired by. And I do think it is worthy of that. Holy moly, does it deserve study? And it is inspirational and it is worthy. And we need to know what patriotism is. And we need to be appropriately patriotic. Absolutely we do. But it involves those words, all men are created equal, which obviously we, I'm hoping most of us at least agree is, well, all people are created equal. Yes, and right. that that means this reconciling thing. And this is something we referenced last time, this commitment to building a more perfect union, which obviously implies that process. And it's, it's an interesting lens for me, even to think about the founding of our country you know, I hear it from school. My kids have been in the plays and all that kind of stuff. And, and there always is that, at least they hint at the, the, the dynamic tension where the colonies are trying to agree and slavery is the big elephant in the room, right? Where yeah. they're, they're t fully divided on this and they feel really strongly about it. And finally, they, they have to just basically put it on hold, in essence, yeah. to say, well, if, if we're going to have to agree to disagree on this right now because we can't resolve it now. And if we don't do something, we're going to die. Right, we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to form a country, and so they they got stuck, and a lot and a lot of people can criticize that decision right there to put slavery on hold because then so many right. atrocities happened between then and the Civil War and and up to today. Um, yeah. But but as I'm looking at how our government has formed, was formed, and and how it's structured now through this this lens, I see the three how you know three parts of government yeah. the, the the trinity as as you might say yeah, yeah and that there's um you know this checks and balances where no one person no one house has all the power or all the answers and they have to work together to make this and that and that makes it really hard it makes yeah. it messy but it is a more perfect union a more beautiful way right. at least in theory at least in principle 
And, no. and have we have we fully realized the potential of that? No. And and I think that's what John and I are trying to say is there is a better way. And it's actually been mapped out. It's just yeah. we haven't we haven't figured out how to play that out in real life quite yet. Right. I mean that that makes me want to go to Martin Luther King, you know, that uh, America just simply needs to live up to its ideals more. And that points to, I mean, we're not going to do this right now, but reform versus revolution. I think it's extraordinary, actually, that to my perspective, again, Native Americans did join the U.S. Army and um, African Americans have always been a part of that history. And I, I don't think too many people are advocating for a, um, a revolution against these American or democratic principles. Um, it's arguing over what it is to fulfill those principles. Um, and that is actually extraordinary. And then too, to go back to your original point, I'm in agreement with you that all of that, like putting on hold and all of that did happen and maybe was necessary in a way. And, and that it's important though, to think, from other people's perspective, good God, what are you saying? You're saying then that I need to be a slave for the rest of my life? You're just going to put it on hold while you guys try to keep arguing about this? I'm in slavery here. Right. And thinking about it from that other perspective is vital, you know? And then too, you could go to the Native American perspective of like, you just killed my whole family and that that has to be grappled with. But it's all of these things. It's back and forth. And it isn't, I don't think it's paralyzing. I think it's clarifying that, yeah, you, and I do think we have made progress. I think especially in the last 50 years, 60 years, we've made progress since the civil rights movement. I mean, that's one of the ways to argue this too, to fast forward a little bit. The 60s are often associated with sex, drugs, and rock and roll and just awful hippies and uh, the world's falling apart and it's chaos and it's awful. No, I think the Holy Spirit was doing his heaviest lift. And I've referred to the Holy Spirit as his a few times here. Um, I think that that's appropriate because that's how Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit. But I do think that uh, we do have to be then sensitive, too, to the fact that we're eventually going to need to talk about um, reconciling between men and women. even. <laughs> but that's, that's another story. Anyway, the 60s, I think, is where the Holy Spirit was doing this heaviest lift. And that... Sure, Satan was pushing back, pushing back, pushing back, but that so much progress was being made in the 60s that then, and it's interesting to see then, I am fast forwarding a little bit, but that people who came of age prior to the civil rights movement versus people who came of age after the civil rights movement, it is a starkly different perspective. Uh, even within people that you would think would be like-minded and are like-minded, I don't want to say they're divided, but... Um, when Barack Obama was elected, older black people I've seen and read and talked about or talked to couldn't believe it. They could not believe an African-American guy was elected. Younger African-Americans, they were like, yeah, great, cool, this is good. But it wasn't as dramatic because they the, conte the contextual reality was completely different. And so something big happened in the 60s. Going back then, though. Yeah, 1776 was glorious and worthy of study and is inspirational. But the story of America clearly begins prior. And understanding how the America, for all of those aspirational ideals, it really was built, though, on removing a people who were already here. And then it also involved enslaving people to work the land more than we do. And that that... That's a great business model. <laughs> I will say that. If you want to make some money, 
That's a great business model, but it's not a righteous model. And we have to come to terms with that and figure out what are the justice implications of that. I do think that, interestingly, the movie, or excuse me, well, you can call it a movie almost, but uh, the musical Hamilton then comes to mind. And this might be a good way to wrap this one up, sort of. Hamilton uh, does enjoy an immense popularity and a very immense popularity across a wide swath. You know, people have loved it. It's also met with some criticism because they feel like they don't deal with slavery well enough. They were making it more about these aspirational ideals rather than the hypocrisy. But it's having people of color play the founding fathers, essentially. And it's a wonderful double-edged dichotomy. And people do like these ideas. And people do want this stuff. And I do like it. And I do think it's great. It's interesting, though, too, uh, one of the climaxes of the show, and it involves George Washington, that we could talk about George Washington more, and his willingness to give up power was historic. He's the first conquering general in the history of the world to willingly give up power, I think. People have called him that, and I tend to agree. It's wondrous, worthy of much inspiration and study. He sings this song in the musical where he he references a verse in Micah where he says, I want just simply to go home and sit under my own vine and not be afraid of anybody. And it's a beautiful idea, and it's from Micah, and I think it alludes to the Garden of Eden, and it's wonderful. He wants to sit under his own vine, and he wants to not have anyone be afraid of anybody. And that's wonderful. <laughs> However... The people who tended George Washington's literal vine were afraid of George Washington. Yeah. And that has to be grappled with. George Washington, I give a little bit more leeway to, and I think context does matter, and you do have to get into that. Jefferson, I'm a little tougher on, because there really is, and this isn't like liberal propaganda. This is like the Smithsonian Institution and the Monticello website and documents and you know real documents that show that jefferson on one hand talked about and wrote all these glorious ideas and then he said oh but seriously can you get me some more slaves because this is really really shaping up nice at monticello i love this and it's not he didn't do well enough and in fact there's a great anecdote i might leave it for another time but there's a guy benjamin banneker who was an african-american engineer architect he helped design washington dc and he wrote jefferson a letter that said hey great declaration awesome can we extend it to african americans please and jefferson went in this kind of all too familiar way that we see even to today is like oh yeah man yeah that's a good point but i i wish i could do something but i don't you know um hey good idea but and I get, too, the context is important. The, the, the march to civil war was very real. The thing that we have to grapple with, though, is, is that, good God, what did that mean? Do we understand the horror of slavery? And do we understand the horror of what happened to the Native Americans well enough? And what does that mean, then, to justice today? Right. Yep. You know, the, the phrase comes to mind, hindsight is twenty twenty, And it's so easy, right, to look back and yeah. to see the to see the hypocrisy, and it was there. The yeah. danger then is to throw out the good parts because right. the bad parts are exposed. Mm-hmm. And there's something in us that wants to say, 
you are, you're a hypocrite. You're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. And so I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say. Right. You know, I, you're dead to me, as what you said earlier. Right. Well, that's not going to get us progress either. So what we have to do, which is the, the more difficult road, but perhaps the more perfect way, is to, to embrace the both and. That you did write or say or know the right things. You just didn't do them. And so let's embrace the, the principles. Um, and we can certainly critique the person or the platform that right. did the did, took the wrong action, but we can't throw out the truth in, in the process. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater is the old phrase, right? I heard this great um, talk recently about how can there be what they call the a-hole gurus? So the gurus, they've got it all together. They understand some part of the world that most of us could never wrap, map our minds around. And, and I've, I've seen this even in the church where there's these people who they know the Bible forward and backwards. They could quote every verse by chapter and verse and reference, but you wouldn't want to hang out with them because right. they're just, they're not, there is no love there. There's lots of truth, but there's no love. Yeah. And yeah. I think, man, that, that's what an, an a-hole guru is, right? Even Jefferson right. Or, or whatever is he had the right idea and he had really brilliant ideas and ideas yeah. that, will shape us and can shape us in the right direction. Um, right. But that doesn't mean he implemented them all, right? So uh, right. it goes right back to information without implementation is delusion. But you can't yeah. throw it all up because there's still good ideas there that we can yeah. embrace. The way that all of this then works is be willing to look at the planks in our own eyes first and recognize that we do have to show at least a little bit more deference to this historical stuff, then it can fall into place because people actually do want the same things. And people can get all high and mighty and say, no, they don't want the same things. And they'll try to draw distinctions and all that. But no, it's we're, we're all yearning for peace, ultimately, is what we're yearning for. And, and maybe there are extremists who don't. And that can be a part of this discussion, too, of how do you tune that out. But I would say that these reconciling principles demand a different response. I do think that the thing that can make all of this work, obviously, is love. I think that we have to be mindful of Jesus's command to look at the planks in our own eyes first, actually. And that means then, too, on this broader historical perspective of showing deference to these concerns of recognizing what are real justice issues. That's a, another way to look at this, is that churches, you know, don't like to get into politics. Maybe some do, but not everyone does. Um, a lot of people want to avoid it, but you've also got to distinguish between what is politics and what are just real justice issues. And and that doesn't mean all in just 100% one direction. But I do think it means challenging ourselves further, you know, yeah. that yeah. Uh, it has to be recognized that it's not okay to let this happen or let that happen. You referred to the book of Micah earlier, and my one of my favorite verses, kind of a life verse, yeah. is Micah six eight, and it's basically says, "God has shown us how to how to live." Yeah. There's three three parts. Interestingly, right? Yeah. Do justly. Yeah. That's that's action. You do right. justly. You Absolutely. love love mercy, right? Yeah. So a lot of people can't do both. They can do justly, and then they're <laughs> making their point yeah. at the you know, at the expense yeah. of others to Absolutely. love mercy. So you yeah. got somebody you got to, to marry those things and then to walk humbly with God. Yeah. 
if if there's any you know if there's anything yeah. that anybody pulls out of this discussion that we have is these this is the way do yeah. justice love mercy walk humbly with god if, yeah. if we could do those things man it would get us get us to, to a more a more perfect union and yeah. what else what else i love about jesus himself is that yes he commands us this is a mandate it's not it's yeah. not a suggestion however yeah. he's not an a-hole guru he actually right. did this because yeah. right yeah. after right after he says this is how to how to do it then he dies for us right yeah so he takes the uncomfortable action sure. and that's really understating it uh, that's required for change to say this is the way, and I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what it means. Yeah, I love that too. I mean, because um, yeah, he he wasn't an a hole. You're right, Joe. And <laughs> yeah. and I mean, you could, that's a title right there, and you could really go to town on that. the The thing that made Jesus the angriest was indeed hypocrisy and sanctimony. It's clear. It's just clear in the Bible that the thing that made him the angriest was sanctimony and hypocrisy i kind of fast forwarded there but it's just that you got to acknowledge what the beginning was and then that um plot point one there is that new journey and plot point one is aspirational but if we're going to look at the planks in our own eyes first i think we have to see though that it's it's also rooted in a lot of stuff that isn't close together it really is oh my gosh really good and really bad uh but i think this narrative keeps playing itself out through the rest of what we know as american history so let me just thank the listeners for spending time with us. Um, as I've said before, we fully realize that time is a, the most precious, non-renewable resource that we have. You could be doing anything you want with your time. You can be anywhere, listening to anything. The fact that you chose to spend time with us, we don't take that lightly. We want your time to be valuable, well spent, that you get a good return on your investment, I might say. Uh, and so if this is something that you find rich and enriching and challenging and insightful, uh, then then we feel like that's, that's really part of our purpose here. But again, I, I just want to reiterate that, you know, faith without works is dead. Inspiration without implementation is delusion. And so the, the whole point of this podcast is not just to inform and to inspire, which hopefully it'll do that as well, but, but to, as a call to action, that we will enter into discussions and arguments, especially from a whole new perspective, uh, the perspective that Jesus commands and also modeled for us. So chew on that, but don't just chew on it, swallow it, and then put it to work. Then let it sink into your muscles and then put it to work. Uh, so thank, thank you, John, for your time. I look forward to just continuing this discussion, our, our Good Stuff podcast. And uh, for all of you out there, we just pray that, uh, that this will be helpful to you and not just to you, but to the relationships that you're in. Amen. Amen. episode was beneficial to you, be sure to pay it forward, sharing it with others who may need a boost as well. Until next time, dream big, start small, act now. Thank you for tuning in.